Well, good morning. Um, you can hug somebody around you if it'll warm you up a little bit, and then you can have a seat. Thank you guys for being here this morning. It's great to see y'all. You look beautiful and maybe a tad chilly. Does that, does that sound about accurate? Yeah? Well, great to see you guys this morning. I just, I love getting to do this. Um, something we've done for several years now, and it's just always so special to me being out here. Um, and, and today I just want to take a few minutes and we're going to really just look at two main things this morning. We're going to remember Jesus buried. Like, like it's important that we just remember and acknowledge that. Jesus buried in the tomb. And then we're going to reflect on what it means that he's risen. In fact, he even referred to himself in advance saying that when, when he was going to be risen, he referred to himself as the temple, that the temple would be torn down and then rebuilt three days later. And so we're going to talk about a tomb and we're going to talk about a temple this morning. All right, we ready to go? Yes, I'm, that was not very convincing. Okay, there we go. We gotta, I know it's cold and it's early, but we gotta have a little energy on Easter Sunday morning. All right, so I, I wanna start by just pointing to, to the simplicity of our faith, the simplicity of the gospel. You know, Paul, Paul writes in multiple places, but he wrote to the Corinthians to encourage his fellow believers, to remind them that the, the entire basis of their salvation, their faith, in fact, their very lives was based upon the simplicity of the gospel. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three and four, and also verse 14, he says these words, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in fulfillment of the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul makes it very clear, the simplicity of Jesus crucified, buried and risen, that's the whole of the gospel. Listen guys, the reality is, Primarily what the message of the New Testament is, it's the sharing of news. Like there, there's been a, a lot of uh, turmoil, especially in the last couple of years about news. Where do we get it? Can we trust it? Um, and we surely don't believe it's, it's ever very good, I would say. But the reality is the gospel means good news. We, we have been told the best news in the world and, and then Paul is so specific, like it's right and good that we focus on the sacrifice of the cross. But he says, listen, if Jesus wasn't raised, this is all in vain. It's all in vain. And so we're gonna spend a few minutes talking about that together this morning. So Good Friday, you know, whether you gathered with us on Friday night or, or whatever you were doing on Friday, we, we reflect on the first thing Paul talked about, the work of the cross. This morning, I wanna open briefly by talking about Jesus' burial, and then we'll move on to his resurrection. And so the story starts out after Jesus' death, this, this man comes along named Joseph. He's known as Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich man. He was also a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. You know, he was, he was a part of, of the Jewish leadership and, and he knew that it, it was risky 
to publicly be a disciple of Jesus. But he stood against his trial and his death. And so he came to Pilate after his crucifixion and, and asked for the body and he received it. And so Matthew's gospel records in Matthew 27, verse 59, that Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Isn't that interesting? Joseph had already purchased, paid for, and prepared his own tomb. Think about that. Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now that, that was significant in that moment, but, but consider some implications here. First of all, remember how Jesus died. He died with criminals. He died a criminal's death. And then he's buried in a rich man's tomb. Even in Jesus' death, he showed us that he came for all. He came for all. And Jesus' burial even points to the fact of the extent that God would go to to come meet us where we are. You know, we may not like to think about this, but there is one thing certain that we all face. It's our own tomb one day. Burial is assured of for all of us. And God came to the fullest extent to meet us where we are, even borrowing one of our tombs to come be there in our place. Jesus associates himself with us in our death. Friends, I don't, I don't wanna camp long on this, but for us to recognize the glory of resurrection life, we have to be honest about the reality of death. We all, part of the road that we walk as humans, we all will face our own death and mortality one day. But the reality is we face death kind of all through our life. It may be, may be the loss of another loved one. We experience the pain of that loss, that difficulty. But there's also little deaths things we experience over the course of our life, seasons that change, relationships maybe that come to an end, ones we had hoped never would, disappointments, maybe a business fails, maybe a marriage fails. We, we live in a world that experiences the pain of, of loss, discouragement, and death. Friends, God sees, he recognizes our plight, our need, and he's done something about it. He's done something about it. And he's walked the very road we have walked. Friends, that's, that's one thing I hope we all see about Jesus. He doesn't talk at us about death. He doesn't talk at us about sin. God recognizes that we are lost and in need. And so he enters our world. He took sin upon himself and he willingly entered into death and was buried in one of our graves so that he could be associated with us in death. That, that's mind-blowing that the creator of the universe would do that for me, for you, but he has. 
But friends, the beauty of what we're celebrating this morning is not just the death of Jesus. We're not here just to talk about the tomb that he was buried in. The thing that's unique about Jesus that none of us can relate to, at least not yet, is that he only borrowed that tomb and it wasn't for very long. Isn't that good news? It wasn't for very long. He just intended to borrow it briefly. And so the good news is that just a few short hours even later, right? He's buried on a Friday night. He's in the tomb all day Saturday. And as the sun begins to rise on Easter Sunday morning, Matthew reminds us in his gospel in Matthew 28, verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Friends, in the same way that his burial shows the lengths he has gone to to be fully with us, we're reminded here that he never intended to stay there. In fact, he told everyone he meant to be there only briefly. It's, it's funny that his most, most faithfully devoted followers just seem to forget that. They seem to not fully grasp it. You know, they didn't understand it when he was telling them, but his enemies knew, took note. That's why guards were placed there. His enemies knew what he had said he was gonna do. And so it's interesting, you, know, you watch all of these reactions to his resurrection. Um, there's deniers of it. Like it's just, a, it's just a vast conspiracy. There's those who saw it firsthand and yet sought to suppress it. Those guards witnessed the resurrection. A few verses later, they go back to the chief priests and say the truth of what they saw. And then they accepted payment to tell a lie. Others heard the news and were just kind of confused or dumbfounded by it. And, and even his followers that hoped to believe that it was true, they, they struggled. It like, it took him showing up multiple times. Anybody else, have you needed Jesus to maybe show up and remind you multiple times of his love, of his truth? I, I can be pretty hard-headed and resistant to him, but he's faithful to pursue us. See, those same early reactions, oh, this is fake news, it's not real. Or I just, just sort of, oh, well, that's an interesting story and I move on as if it has nothing to do with me. I suppress the truth. Or I struggle to just accept it as reality. See, what's significant about the resurrection, friends, this, this is not a story about someone who experienced death and had like a near-death experience or maybe, maybe even a miracle where somebody like died on the operating table and came back and lived a few more years. 
Jesus was resurrected from the grave and has continued to go on living and he will do so forever. We either believe the biggest lie in the history of the world or we dare to believe the greatest truth that has ever taken place. There's really no in between. Either this is real or it's not. Paul, that's why he read that at the beginning. Paul said that he's like, either Christ died and was risen or this is all in vain. But Christ was risen in truth. He went to that borrowed tomb for you and I. And I wanna talk now about why he used this example of himself being a temple. And so we're gonna move from talking about a tomb that's now empty to talking about a temple. See, the angel said to the ladies, made it very clear, listen, he did what he told you he was gonna do. He was risen just like he said. Well, the angel's referring at least to this example, and there are many others where Jesus told them he was gonna raise again, but at the start of his ministry, very early in his ministry, he goes to Jerusalem three years before this Passover where he was crucified. And he rolls into Jerusalem for, for the first time as he starts his ministry and he goes to the temple. And, and he sees the abuse that's happening, <clears throat> excuse me, at the temple where people are, are using it for their own benefit, their own financial gain. And he's disturbed by what he sees. He said, the temple is the place where people meet God. And he's frustrated. So he goes and he begins to flip tables over and he runs the money changers out of there. And he's just, he's stirred up to set things right so people can come to a place where they can meet with God. And the religious leaders look at him and they're going, what gives you the authority or the right to do this? You better show us some sign. And these are the words Jesus speaks in John's gospel, chapter two, verse 19. He answered them and said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Why does Jesus use the analogy of a temple when describing himself? Well, if a tomb is where God came to be fully with us, facing everything that we do, even death, then a temple is where we go to be connected with God. See, we've been building temples forever. Even people who don't believe in, in the one true God, the God of the Bible, Jesus, we build temples. We figure out places to find meaning, to give purpose to life, to maybe connect with something on a spiritual level. And so whether we go to gardens or hilltops, people have gone to caves, we've set up tents, Literal temples have been erected. We still, we still do silly things even now to try to create meaning. We build temples like stadiums where we go and we lose our minds cheering with all of our might because everything hinges upon which team crosses which goal line. <laughs> we find all of these ways. We build little temples in our own lives. 
Maybe my home is my own little temple or sanctuary. Maybe I give so much meaning and purpose to my career and I try to create a temple there that gives me a sense of worth, meaning, purpose. We all long to know why are we here? What am I living for? And the reality is we were created to be connected with the God who made us and loves us and gives us ultimate purpose. And he's always wanted us to be connected with him. See, through, the Old Testament teaches us that like through Abraham and his family, which ultimately becomes the Jewish people, God was gonna use the family of Abraham to bless all people, to reveal himself. And so in the Old Testament, he does that through temple. So when Jesus shows up and starts talking about a temple and is referring to himself, this had great power because the temple was a place of specific, central, symbolic significance for the Jewish people. It meant to them the place where we meet with God, where his presence dwells, where we go to be connected with him. And Jesus is saying, the temple is no longer a place, a building, something you have to create to try to reach God. I am now the place where you reach God. I am the ultimate temple. And I actually have to die and be risen again for you to be connected with God. What's fascinating is without even knowing it, there's references to this reality all throughout the Old Testament. Anybody here know of a guy named David, right? The giant killer. Well, David goes on to be a king and he had a deep desire in his heart to build a temple for God. Prior to that time, they just had a temporary tent that they would set up, a tabernacle. He had a great desire to build a temple and he was never able to do that. But he did write a psalm that he intended to be sung at the dedication of the temple. I want you to hear these words because they sound nothing like what you would sing at the dedication of a building that had been built. Listen to these words from Psalm 30, a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, my God, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Do you hear the echoes of death being described? The rescue from enemies, the rescue from death. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. He's talking about resurrection life. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Friends, if you catch nothing else this morning, I want you to hear that. I'm gonna read it again. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. The significance of the briefly borrowed tomb is the significance of that anger that's but for a moment. 
the reality of a resurrected Jesus who lives eternally is why we can enjoy the favor that lasts for a lifetime. Friends, my message to you this morning is a simple one. You might be thinking, well, dude, you've already read a lot of verses here. I don't know how simple that was. No, it is. It's simple this morning. It's about the joy and life that is available to us in Jesus. The one who is buried in the grave and has been risen eternally is the one who offers us life. He is the true temple, the place where earth meets heaven and where death meets life. Friends, all of our despair, our discouragements, our struggles, the sin that entangles and rips us off, all of it is resolved in Jesus. And so we come to him and the result is simply praise and joy. I wanna leave you with, with something to ponder this morning as we begin to wrap things up. What do we do with this reality? How do we respond to it? The Bible teaches us two very basic, simple things in response to Jesus. Paul talks about this, for example, in Romans 6 and in Colossians 2. He uses the analogy of looking at Christ's burial and resurrection. And he says, we now, if we put our faith in Jesus, we are buried in Christ. Friends, he borrowed one of our tombs so we can now borrow his. So, so much of our life, I don't know if you can relate to this. I have felt this way much in my life. So much of our life can be like sort of hanging on like moment to moment till we can find these little glimpses or tastes of joy. And then lots of life can just be the struggle of the reality of the difficulties of life. But friends, if, if we borrow Jesus' tomb, if we find our lives buried into his life, then he redeems all of those hurts and pains and struggles. And he makes them but a glimpse in the expanse and reality of eternal life. Because as, as the scripture goes on to say, if we're buried with Christ, we're also risen with Christ. And so there is a unique joy that we can have. Isaiah describes it this way. He says, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, there is a unique and special joy available to us if we will only see it. Jesus' short time in the tomb and his resurrection life means that death and therefore all of our sorrow and grief are temporary. It doesn't mean they're non-existent. Faith in Jesus doesn't mean I pretend like there's no problems. I ignore pain and its realities. No, it's very real. That's why he died. 
But his death and resurrection means that grief and sorrow and even death are temporary and that life and therefore joy and peace are permanent. They're eternal. Friends, I hope that we can take hold of that, the eternal joy that's available to us right now in Jesus. I wanna leave you with this quote. Um, if, if those who are gonna be leading us in worship, we're gonna respond in worship in just a moment. If y'all wanna come and get ready, I wanna leave you with this quote. I hope you'll catch this. This is from G.K. Chesterton. He says this about the joy that's available to us in Christ. He says, the mass of men have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. Nevertheless, it is not native for us to be that way. Man is more himself when joy is the fundamental thing in him and grief the temporary and superficial. Melancholy should be an innocent interlude, a tender and fugitive frame of mind. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. Joy is the, the gigantic secret of the Christian. Friends, if we will allow ourselves to realize that the brief moments Jesus spent in the grave are meant to remind us that in the darkest moments of this life, we're gonna make it. It's gonna be all right. Yes, there's some sadness in the darkness of night, but joy comes in the morning. And friends, because of Jesus, the morning lasts forever. I pray you know this to be true this morning. I wanna encourage you as we're singing this last song and, and we're gonna end in some worship. I wanna encourage you to consider what do you need to bury in Jesus that you might experience new life in him? I realize a lot of, a lot of times those who are gonna get up this early for a sunrise service, most likely are folks who've given their life to Christ already. But I just have to say, if you haven't done that yet, it's your life that you can give to him. You can die to the struggle and striving of trying to do it all yourself. You can lay that life down and entrust your life into his care. He'll forgive your sins. He'll set you free. He'll give you new life in him. But I also wanna say, friends, fellow believers who've given your life to Christ, are there some little deaths you maybe need to hand to him? Is there a sin or a struggle? Is there a recent loss, a disappointment, a discouragement that you're facing? Friends, those things are safe with him. We can borrow his tomb this morning and we can take our sadness, our struggle, our sin, our disappointment, and we can hand it to him and entrust it in his care, believing that there's new life in him, that he can heal those wounds, that he can set us free from those struggles, that even our disappointments can be made new in him. Consider that this morning, what that might be for you. Place it in his care. And then let's receive the joy that's available in our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen.
Amen.